Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello and welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, November 4th. I'm Teresa Watson. And I'm Leslie Palma. Our show tonight is going to look a little different. We will be entirely focused on the midterm elections. We have with us some of the top political analysts from around the country to break down the various races in key states. Joining us will be Anna Marie Visser from Michigan and David Walls from Kentucky. They will help us understand the ballot initiatives in their states. Stephen Billy from Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America will be with us to discuss what we can hope to see in gubernatorial races. Caitlin McCuskey, also from Susan B. Anthony, will join us tonight to analyze the House and Senate races. Father Frank Pavone will share with us why these midterm elections are more critical than ever before. Please stay tuned until the end when we will have a meaningful reminder of why we have to vote pro-life. The concept of voting can be simple, but many ballots are not that easy to understand, especially ballot questions that are often wordy and complicated. In four days, in addition to casting ballots for elected officials, Voters in four states will vote on ballot initiatives related to state constitutional rights to abortion. Three states, California, Michigan, and Vermont, will vote on ballot initiatives that, if approved, would amend those states' constitutions to establish a right to abortion. One state, Kentucky, will vote on a ballot initiative that would amend its state constitution to declare that there is not a right to abortion. In Montana, voters are asked to approve a law declaring that an embryo is a legal person with a right to medical care if born prematurely or survives an attempted abortion. We have with us tonight Anna Marie Visser, Director of Communications and Education with Right to Life Michigan, and David Walls, Executive Director of the Family Foundation in Kentucky. They're going to help us understand the ballot initiatives in their states. Welcome, Anna Marie and David, to the show. Good to be Thank with you for having me. All right, let's start with you, Anna Marie. Please briefly tell us about Prop 3 in Michigan. So Prop 3 is sponsored by Planned Parenthood and the ACLU, and it actually is not just going to create a constitutional right to abortion, but it's going to essentially change every law relating to pregnancy in Michigan. It's going to change the definition of fetal viability. It's going to um, eliminate our parental consent laws and it's going to allow for late-term abortions if passed. Wow. All right. Now, David, would you uh, explain to us uh, what Amendment 2 is in Kentucky? Yeah, absolutely. The, the Yes for Life constitutional amendment, Amendment Number 2 here in the Commonwealth, is a proposed constitutional amendment, and it does two very straightforward things. It would just make crystal clear that the Kentucky Constitution does not contain a right to abortion, a right to end the life of an unborn child, or uh, a right to claim of taxpayer funding for abortion. And so this is a, a vitally important amendment here in the, in the post-Roe environment that we're uh, living in here in Kentucky. We've got strong pro-life laws that are in effect and saving lives as, as I sit here right now, and we're thankful to the Lord for that. But we have an ongoing court challenge from the pro-abortion industry, and they have already got a lower court judge, an activist judge here in Kentucky to say that our Kentucky constitution contains a secret hidden right to an abortion. And that case is actually gonna be argued at the Kentucky Supreme Court one week after the election day. So really the, the historic opportunity that we have here in Kentucky uh, for Kentuckians to get out and vote yes on Amendment 2, that would simply close the door on the opportunity of an activist court decision 
that would seek to enshrine a so-called right to abortion in our Constitution, and it would protect the pro-life laws that have already been passed and have already gone into effect and are saving lives. So it's it's really a, a historic vote that we have here in Kentucky on Amendment 2. Why do ballot initiatives tend to be so confusing? I know in Kansas that was a thing, but people weren't sure if they were voting no, if, if they were voting for it, if they're against it. It was very Why does it have to be confusing? <laughs> Either, well, either. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, look, we take seriously uh, 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 amending a, a state constitution. So here in here in Kentucky, uh, we don't vote on constitutional amendments all that often. And obviously, there, there there's important ballot language and legal language that has to, to be in place. But the good thing about Amendment 2 here in Kentucky is it could not be more simple and straightforward. It is it is a one sentence amendment. It simply just says to protect human life, nothing in this constitution shall be construed to secure or protect a right to abortion or require the funding of abortion. But one of the things we've been really uh, engaging with Kentuckians, pro-life Kentuckians across the state, is to just remind them that it's the very last thing on the ballot here in Kentucky. So it's passed all the important uh, partisan races and passed some of the local and judicial races. It's the final thing on the ballot. So we're just trying to simply also uh, ensure that pro-life Kentuckians don't go in and vote and leave Amendment 2 at the very end of their ballot without having voted on it. Right. Wow. Well, Anna Marie, do you have uh, anything to add to that? Yes. Supporters of Proposal 3 have been promoting this as a way to codify Roe in Michigan. And um, you mentioned confusing language in these amendments, and that's exactly what we're seeing is this is several paragraphs of language. And if they wanted to simply codify Roe, it would be couple sentences, you know, two at the most. And so they're using very broad, very radical and confusing phrases that um, are very confusing to people. And uh, you could argue that maybe it was on purpose to try to add things into our state constitution and not just codify Roe. Absolutely. We uh, we probably agree on that. Yes. So remind us, um, the, the viewers and, and us, how should they vote on each of the amendments in your states? People in Michigan should vote no on Proposal 3. It is too radical and too extreme for Michigan. And we know that the majority of people in Michigan do not support late-term abortions. And the majority of people in Michigan support parental consent laws. And here in the bluegrass state, it's it's a simple yes. It's yes on two. Uh, and as I mentioned, it's it's the last thing on the ballot. And it's it's vitally important uh, and just really a historic opportunity for, for Kentuckians to get out and vote their pro-life values into the Kentucky Constitution. So, Anna Marie, what's your prediction for the fate of Prop 3? It's hard to say a prediction. You know, our, our field work is going really well. And so we're hopeful that the people in Michigan will know that this is too radical for them and they will vote no on it, regardless of where they stand on abortion. Um, so we're working hard every single day leading up to November 8th to make sure that people are educated in Michigan. Uh, so we're hopeful that it will not pass. Um, hard to say prediction though. All right. David, how about Kentucky? Will pro-life prevail? 
you know, we, we serve a, a, an awesome God and we're really doing all that we can to, it, it's been encouraging. The body of Christ has come together across denominational lines on this issue in Kentucky as we continue to, to get the word out. Uh, certainly there, there are millions and millions of dollars pouring in from the pro-abortion industry to try to defeat this amendment, but we remain confident. And as we head towards election day, we just encourage, uh, continue to pray for our nation, pray here for Kentucky that the body of Christ will get out and vote truth and righteous and support Amendment 2 here in Kentucky and in other states like Michigan, that they would vote down these just really, really concerning amendments being pushed by the radical pro-abortion industry. All right. Well, amen to that. Thank you both for taking the time to join us tonight, especially during this very busy election season. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks and God bless. Voters in 36 states will cast a ballot for their state's chief executive next week. At least a dozen of these gubernatorial races are considered competitive. While governors have always been important, of course, the end of legal abortion on the national level has given them more of a say in what happens to the unborn in their states. We've asked Stephen Billy, Vice President of State Affairs for Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, to join us to break down these races. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to the discussion. Well, Stephen, Cook Political has labeled five races as toss-ups, meaning they're too close to predict. Can you start us off in Oregon, where maybe there's a chance for the first Republican governor in 40 years? What's happening there? Well, we've got reason to be optimistic all across the board, and not just the federal, re federal races, but our state races, our gubernatorial races as well. Um, and Oregon is a great example of that. The American people are rejecting the extreme position of the other side, especially when it comes to abortion. The American people don't support on-demand taxpayer-funded abortion up until the moment of birth. That's the position of the other side. Um, and so it's not a surprise to us that we see highly competitive races where pro-life leaders are, are in a uh, situation where they can win. Well, Arizona is another, another open race uh, with Republican Carrie Lake facing off against Democrat Katie Hobbs. What do you, what do you see happening there? I think Carrie Lake has done an incredible job of really contrasting the pro-life position and the compassionate side of the argument where we want to stand with women, we want to stand with mothers who are facing difficult situations and stand along with them and help them love their children. Um, and putting that up against Katie Hobbs, who takes the extreme pro-abortion position, you know, on-demand abortion up until the moment of birth, that's in the League of China and North Korea for allowing elective abortions after 20 weeks. That's not what anybody in America supports. Um, and so it, it's, you know, Carrie has done an incredible job highlighting how extreme her opponent is on the issue. Uh, and the people in Arizona are, re are responding to, uh, you know, rejecting that extreme pro-abortion position. Wow. Well, Wisconsin's an interesting place. And with, excuse me, Republican-controlled legislature and Democratic governor, do you see incumbent Tony Evers getting his walking papers? Well, you're right. Wisconsin is an interesting place. You know, they're one of the states that have a strong pro-life protection in place right now, in force and effect, and, and they're able to protect unborn children. Um, I think Tony Evers is committed to that extreme abortion agenda that we've been talking about. And I don't believe that the people in Wisconsin are going to go to the ballot box and say, we want taxpayer-funded abortion on demand. So I think, again, we've got a lot of optimism that we're going to see uh, a good result in Wisconsin on election night. I hope so. All right, so Cook Political said governor's races in Michigan and New Mexico lean Democratic, favoring the incumbents in both. Do pro-lifers have any hope of saying goodbye to Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan or Michelle Lujan Grisham in New Mexico? I think we do have hope. I mean, Tudor Dixon, again, a, a strong pro-life woman running for governor, 
Um, she's carrying that mantle of wanting to stand with mothers and be there to support them and make sure that they've got the help and support they need when they're facing difficult situations. Um, that's what the pro-life movement is about. That's what pregnancy help centers are about. And I think Tudor has done an incredible job showing that that's what she wants to do with her leadership. And that's in stark contrast to her opponent who's taken the complete opposite position, said that the, the solution to any problem that women might be facing is to take the life of their unborn child. Um, and I think you know, while Michigan uh, and New Mexico are both gonna be some of the more difficult races, we do have reason um, to hope that we're gonna have successful pro-life candidates come out of those elections on election night. We certainly hope so. And Stephen, I'm a New Yorker originally, so I'm watching the governor's race there. And it should be a shoe in for incumbent Democrat <clears throat> Kathy Hochul. But there are signs that GOP challenger Lee Zeldin is making headway. What are your thoughts on that? I think that just, again, gets to how extreme the other side has gotten um, on issues all across the board. You know, one of the things that often doesn't get mentioned is when the pro-abortion states pass these, you know, abortion safe haven laws, or they want to make uh, every abortion in their state available, that's getting rid of things like parental consent um, or informed consent for women, parental notification, so that parents aren't going to be made aware if their minor child is going to, is going to get an abortion, if their teacher is taking them to get an abortion. You know, parents don't want that. Parents want to be involved in their child's life. They want to be there to protect their children and love their children. Uh, and so when you start putting extreme positions and policies like that in place, like is well, that's what's happening in New York, you know, people are going to reject that. We, we just, as a nation, we don't support the idea that our, our young children should be able to get abortions without their parents' knowledge. So I'm also a New Yorker originally, but I lived briefly in Texas and I love Greg Abbott. Is, is he safe? And if he wins, do you think Beto O'Rourke will finally go away? And wait, I have the same question about Georgia. Will Stacey Abrams lose to Brian Kemp and will that be the end of her political aspirations? Well, I don't know if it'll be the end of her political aspirations, but it's going to be another loss for her come election night. I think Brian Kemp is a strong pro-life leader. He has done an incredible job in Georgia. They have very strong protections in life uh, for life in place, and they also have a lot of policies in place to stand with women. You know, they've just created um, child tax credits for mothers while they're pregnant. They've created it so that you can receive child support during pregnancy. You know, they're making sure that the support women need is available to them. Um, and they're doing that while they're protecting the lives of unborn children. So I think Brian Kemp is he's a strong pro-life leader and, and the people in Georgia are going to you know, reward him for standing for life. And I think the same in Texas. You know, obviously, Texas was in the news a lot early um, with their heartbeat law and with all of the accusations made against them in the first few days after that law came into effect. Um, we were told the world was going to end and all these terrible outcomes were going to follow that law. Um, and none of that's happened. And in fact, the polling is showing that the people in Texas are supporting that law, that support is growing for protecting um, the life of unborn children and the policies that they have in place, $100 million for an alternative to abortion program. And it is incredible what pro-life leaders are doing across the country. And that's why I think we're going to have such a great night on election night. Uh, the, the American people reject the extreme position of on-demand taxpayer-funded abortion up until the moment of birth. They want policies and leaders in place that are going to stand with women, that are going to stand with families so that they can love their children. And so I think that's what we're going to see happen on election night. And what about Beto? Will he go away? Uh, I, I can't <laughs> predict whether Beto or Stacey are going to go away. Um, I certainly okay. hope so. I think that their extreme positions are going to be rejected again and again every time that they run. Um, so hopefully they'll get the message. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us and letting us pick your brain on these really important races. We really do appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Looking forward to a really good election night and would be happy to come back and talk with you all soon. All right. Great. Great.
Thanks. Whether it's a good idea or not, every seat in the U.S. House of Representatives is vacated every two years, meaning we have 435 congressional races to keep track of. To help us with that, we've asked Caitlin McCuskey, political coordinator for Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, to tell us what to expect in the House and the more manageable Senate. Welcome, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me. Caitlin, what are we looking for in terms of the balance of power? Do we have hope that pro-lifers will dominate the 118th Congress? Yes, well, I certainly think, you know, starting back in the fall of 2021, we've been hearing about a red wave that's coming and Republican candidates across the board are really um, doing well. We're seeing a huge upswing for them in the polling over the last month. And I definitely think we're going to have some strong pro-life voices coming into Congress. I think the latest um, the latest polling average or latest real clear politics average predicts like upwards of 30 plus uh, new members coming into the House of Representatives. And so we're very excited to see that and ultimately a, a, a excited to see a check on the Biden administration's radical pro-abortion policies. Oh, definitely. <laughs> well, Caitlin, we've read that white suburban women and Latinos are showing more support for Republicans than ever before. Will this help the House candidates? Absolutely. I mean, every election cycle, I think we hear a lot about suburban women. Um, this cycle, we're hearing about them coming back to the GOP, and that's certainly a block of voters that um, have, we need to pick up. We need to um, have vote for us on election night. And same with Latinos. For so long, the Democratic Party has treated them as this monolithic voting block. And we're seeing um, from candidates like Myra Flores and Monica De La Cruz and Cassie Garcia down in South Texas, uh, Madison Gilbert in Ohio, that they are seeing the extremism of the other side, seeing the policies put forward on, on things like our, our issue on abortion and saying, no, we don't want taxpayer funded abortion through nine months of pregnancy. That is absolutely not where we are as voters. That's not where America is. That's not why we came to this country or why our grandparents came to this country. Um, and so we're definitely gonna see a huge um, effect from that on election night. Well, let's take a look at the Senate where 34 of 100 seats are in play. At Priest for Life, we've been concentrating on five races, Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Cook Political has Arizona as a toss-up with incumbent Democrat Mark Kelly facing Republican challenger Blake Masters. In Nevada, the incumbent Catherine Cortez Masto leads her Republican challenger Adam Laxalt by less than a point. Where do you see these two states headed? Well, we've certainly been working very hard at SBA um, to get out the vote. We've got boots on the ground in both of those states, exposing the Democrats' extremism, talking about Mark Kelly and Catherine Cortez Masto's extreme voting records um, on this issue and, you know, making sure that voters know that Blake Masters and Adam Laxalt um, will stand with them on this issue and will stand where we should be, you know, um, with federal minimum standards and things like that. And so we've been doing our best to get the vote out. And I think we're seeing in the polls, especially over the last few weeks, that um, voters are realizing where these candidates are. They're realizing the extremism of the Democratic Party on all issues. And we're going to see, um, hopefully, uh, a, a, the results of that on election night. Well, Caitlin, in Wisconsin, we have an incumbent Republican, Ron Johnson, being challenged by the state's Lieutenant Governor, Mandela Barnes. Johnson has a narrow lead. What do you predict? Um, I don't want to predict anything. You know, uh, I don't want to count my eggs before they've hatched, but um, I definitely think uh, the voters are seeing Barnes's extremism. He couldn't name a single limit um, that he supports on, on abortion. 
um, up into the ninth month of pregnancy. I mean, they asked him point blank and he couldn't answer that question. And so voters are seeing that. It's not, you know, just the media that's covering it. It's not just the political um, D.C. world that's seeing that. I think your average Wisconsin voter sees that and knows what that means. Um, so I'm very hopeful that we'll be able to hold on to uh, Wisconsin come Election Day. Well, the Pennsylvania race has gotten a lot of press with Democrat John Fetterman facing off against Dr. Mehmet Oz for an open seat. Do you think Fetterman's health issues, which were on display in the recent debate, will impact the outcome? Well, I definitely think the post-debate uh, polling has really shown Oz with the momentum. Um, I My biggest takeaway was it's, it's just sad seeing um, Fetterman. Um, he clearly needs help. He clearly needs some support. And um, he's just not getting that right now. Um, from his friends and family. And I, I, I just think the voters see that and they know what it takes to be a senator. Uh, Pennsylvania voters know what they want from a senator and they've had um, been blessed by a great senator and Senator Toomey. So um, I do think that will affect his chances and affect the election night outcome. Well, the abortion issue was most prominent in Georgia, where pro-life Herschel Walker has been accused of two unidentified women of paying for their abortions. And pro-abortion Raphael Warnock, the pastor, just posted a campaign ad suggesting we need legal abortion so we can keep killing babies with disabilities. It can't be easy to be a Georgia voter these days. What do you think will we'll get the ticket to uh, D.C. after this election? Right. Um, well, again, uh, SBA has been on the ground in Georgia, going door to door, um, working to get out the vote and expose Senator Warnock's extremism. I think he's done a good job of exposing that himself. Unfortunately, you mentioned that ad. You mentioned uh, in the debate, he said that you know God gave us a choice, and he ignored the fact that there is a baby in that room, as as Herschel pointed out. You know, there are a lot of things for voters to consider, but I think. What they really need to look at is the past two years under Senator Warnock, um, what he's voted for, abortion on demand through the ninth month of pregnancy, overturning Georgia's common sense life-saving laws. Um, they need to look at these the, the recent voting record of Senator Warnock and think, can we, can we continue that for the next two years? Or do we need change? And Herschel Walker is promising change. He's promising to be a voice for Georgians and um, I think that's really the question that voters need to consider. And so I hope that they consider uh, electing Herschel. I think he'll be a fantastic voice for Georgians um, and for the pro-life movement. Well, I'm sure you'll be up late like we will be on Tuesday. And I know we're all hoping for pro-life wins. So thank you so much for joining us, Caitlin, and, share, Caitlin, and sharing your insights with our viewers. Thank you, Caitlin. Yes, thank you for having me. Looking forward to Tuesday. The Republican Party's midterm prospects have markedly improved over the last several weeks. But will 2022 be a red wave election year on par with GOP victories in 1994 and 2010? The warning signs are clearly flashing for the Democratic Party. Recent polling finds that support for Republicans, both generically and in individual races, has increased substantially amid heightened national concerns about the economy and crime, two issues that the GOP leads on. Meanwhile, protecting abortion rights, the crux of the Democratic agenda, has become a much less salient issue. We've invited Timothy Head, the Executive Director of Faith and Freedom Coalition, to talk with us tonight. Welcome, Tim. Well, uh, welcome to you, and thank you so much for, uh, for having me on. This is, uh, this is uh, an eventful time of the year, and I, I think it's uh, turning out to be a, uh, probably a pretty exciting time. 
That's for sure. <laughs> well, Tim, thank you again for joining us. But can you can we count on a red wave, or could it really possibly be a tsunami? Well, you know the uh, the uh, election cycles that you alluded to a little bit earlier uh, were um, the early indicators in this cycle are are uh, fairly uh, in line, I would say, with uh, with those election cycles. So it's an in interesting period that we're seeing. Uh, not in every single state, but in in most states, uh, especially red states, uh, the uh, the early po early uh, voting uh, numbers that we're actually uh, getting back are actually very um, uh, unusually high. I would say for two thousand uh, compared to two thousand eighteen, so the last uh, midterm, and then also even two thousand and fourteen before you know the non presidential uh, cycles, we're seeing a significant uptick in early voting, which is. Also, a slightly interesting uh, uh, trend, we're seeing more Republicans voting early in uh, a lot of uh, kind of uh, rural and suburban or exurban uh, counties across the country, uh, hitting, uh, hitting new number, new, new record numbers for, uh, for those areas. And so, you know, historically, for probably the last 30, 30 to 40 years, uh, Democrats tend to vote a little more early. Um, but uh, but that 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 trend uh, is uh, it's not flipping. But I would just say Republicans seem to be uh, catching up uh, with uh, with early voting trends for Democrats. Do you have any predictions you can make, like how how the House is going to end up after the election or the Senate? So I think that uh, you know we're we're uh, shaping up for a, a very strong, potentially even wave like uh, a, a political performance for Republicans this uh, cycle. The early voting trends are are similar to 2018 numbers uh, or 2014 midterm numbers, but uh, but uh, significantly higher. Uh, and and I, I think that that uh, that certainly bodes well. Whenever uh, issues, whenever elections are resolved around issues like. Uh, crime, for instance, and also around the economy, normally that that tends to kind of uh, uh, flow the Republicans uh, Republicans way. Now, on the House side, I would say 230, low low 230s, 232, 234. I, I would say is, is probably a very conservative estimate, and probably uh, 242, maybe 244 on the high end uh, for the U.S. House for Republicans. On the on the Senate side, you've got. Uh, some uh, some unusual races uh, because um, specific states are are experiencing slightly different issues. For instance, in Nevada, uh, in uh, in Arizona, in Pennsylvania, and uh, in Georgia, those those races have some slightly different um, uh, issue sets that are impacting those states. And then you also have slightly different personalities at play. And so, uh, I would say um, that uh, the uh, the Republican candidates in Pennsylvania and Nevada, you know, uh, Mr. Laxalt and Mr. Oz uh, in, uh, in Pennsylvania are looking uh, pretty strong, interestingly enough. Uh, Arizona, uh, um, it, it's uh, probably a little, little more of an uphill battle for, uh, for uh, Masters in Arizona, but, uh, but Herschel Walker in uh, Georgia is actually closing uh, extremely strong and is looking like uh, he's at least going to, to lead going into a runoff, and he very, very well may uh, win over, win outright without a, a runoff in Georgia. So that could get us either to 51 or 52 in the Senate. Wow. <laughs> well, that's all very, uh, very exciting for us, obviously. And, and uh, Tim, we want to thank you for joining us and sharing your insight and your expertise. 
And uh, we're, we're really hoping that uh, we do see this red wave. And maybe you can come back with us uh, at the end of next week. And uh, let's just see what how the predictions were. <laughs> Absolutely. A lot, of, a lot of governor's races up in the air, too, that uh, that are probably worth revisiting uh, around life-related issues once uh, once the uh, the uh, the new tectonics kind of re uh, reshift or reshape there. So I'd uh, love to do it. Thank you all so much for having me. Hey, thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. I've invited Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life, to talk to us tonight about the elections, the midterm elections, and why they're so important. Hi, Father. Hi, Teresa. Thank you for joining us tonight. So the election's only a few days away. Only a few days away, four days. So, Father, I keep hearing people talk about, well, gee, you know, it's the midterm elections. Right. So I'm, it's not a presidential election. I'm not going to vote. What's the big deal? So what do you say to that? Well, you know, I've been involved in national elections since 1994, uh, the first national election after I took over uh, Priests for Life. And uh, I've never been more convinced of the importance of an election than this one, because although it's a midterm election, we have a situation here now where we have the most radicalized national party, the Democrat Party, that we have ever had. And when I say radicalized, I mean, we just saw one of their 2020 presidential primary candidates, Tulsi Gabbard, drop out of the party altogether because they, she said this is an elitist cabal. And she said, these are our power-hungry people that are, uh, that are setting themselves against our basic freedoms. So this is no longer just a question of what we have in every election, which is, okay, you have different platforms, different policy ideas, you know, different perspectives. Uh, any healthy country has different perspectives and debate about different policies. But we're talking here about a party that has become radicalized, Look at how they're indoctrinating our children in, in the schools with this woke ideology, uh, America-hating ideology. I mean, it sounds like we're just name-calling, but you go into the, the actual things they're doing and you see that this is true. Um, not to mention these just absolutely insane ideas about defunding the police and We've had a historic rise in crime, an historic rise in inflation, no southern border anymore. And these are it's not like they can't fix these things. There are common sense things to be done to fix these things. What we're saying is something strange is going on here. As President Trump has said, as many of the rest of us has said, some of this behavior, you just can't make sense of it unless the people in these positions hate our country. I mean, that's very sad and scary to say. That's why this midterm election is so important, because right now they control the Congress as well as the White House. This election can put a roadblock in front of these radical policies, at least to give us a chance to figure out what's going on here. You put the Congress under Republican hands, you can have certain investigations, you can get to the bottom of why the, why the FBI is being weaponized against pro-life people, for example. Uh, you know, get to the bottom of what's going on, what, what happened with Afghanistan. I mean, people are just alarmed. And this has never quite happened like this before. They're, they're alarmed in, in such a way that goes to the, to the very foundations of, uh, of our nation and of our love for our nation. That's why it's so important. Well, Father, we live here in Florida, so we have a big a governor's race this year, right? And what about 
I say, well, gee, I'm, I'm just going to vote for governor. I don't, why do I have to be bothered with the judges and the school board? I don't even have kids in school. So what, what is so important about these really um, local elections as well? Well, then it's, again, it sends a message to these people on the local level, whether they're radical judges that want to, again, impose ideology instead of judge according to the Constitution, or whether it's school board members that want to indoctrinate students instead of educate them in reading, writing, and arithmetic, we've got to send them a clear message that we as a people reject their philosophies. Because people not voting on that level and not even knowing the difference between the candidates opens the door for the wrong kind of people to get in there. And then they can claim, oh, people are okay with what we're doing. Whereas in reality, the people are not okay with what they're doing. But the people who are not okay with it need to understand what's at stake and, and send them a very clear message. No, we reject what you're doing in our schools. We reject what you're doing in our courts. We reject this. And the only way to give them that clear message is to vote. Thank you, Father. Well, we are going to be live on uh, Election Day right uh, throughout the day with a lot of uh, news as it comes, yes, comes we will. to be, right? And uh, will you join me next Friday again to talk about the results? The results we should be celebrating. Absolutely. Well, thank All you right. so much for joining me. You're welcome. In 2010, Priests for Life organized and hosted the Pro-Life Freedom Rides, which brought together black pro-life leaders from all over the country for events in Birmingham, Atlanta, Knoxville, and Chattanooga. We had a bus that rode from place to place with pro-life rallies in each and prayer vigils outside abortion facilities in a few of our stops. To kick off the project, we commissioned Christian songwriter Jamie Owens Collins and her husband Dan Collins to write a pro-life anthem. The song is called The Least of These, and we'd like to play it for you now. It's a good reminder of why we need to vote pro-life in every election.
Leslie, the show tonight was so informative. All these experts shared some pretty amazing things about these races. They did, and they are, almost all of them, uh, pretty optimistic that pro-life is going to prevail. Michigan is a little, little tricky on the, their uh, ballot initiative, but otherwise, looks like it's going to be a good win for pro-life. Yes, we're very excited. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. We hope you will join us every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We hope you will support this show and all of our broadcasts, including Just Ask Janet, our daily masses, and Father Frank's broadcasts by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priests for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating the pro-life community to end abortion. Do you have an idea for a story for us? Are you someone whose baby was saved because of the help of a sidewalk counselor? Would you like to expose something in the abortion industry? Then please email us at media at priestsforlife.org. And be sure to join us next Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. And I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.